So you need to be learning all of the time, you know, trying something new, didn't work. Do we iterate or do we do something new? And then again, doing something new, like how do we make yeah. sure that, you know, increasing our learn rate, so to speak, is top priority as a business? Because, you know, once we hit on that thing that is our game changer, then we're away. Hello, welcome to the Chief Disruptor podcast. My name's Gabba. I'm the research and engagement executive at Chief Disruptor. This series of podcasts highlights and explores the disruptive strategies, mindsets and technologies taking place across blue chip organisations, startups, scale ups and the public sector. Every other week I'm joined by disruptors, innovators and change makers from across the Chief Disruptor community. To find out more visit chiefdisruptor.com. This week we welcome onto the podcast Laura Rosenberger, co-founder at Lalo. With an aim of changing the way the world drinks wine, Lalo is attempting to redefine our understandings of boxed wine through bespoke, sustainable packaging and high quality product. After launching during the pandemic, Lalo is now already successfully disrupting the wine industry. Through a founder's lens, Laura and I touch on changing customer trends around drinking, the challenges of growing D2C business, the sustainability of the wine industry, and as always, provide our disruptive thoughts of the day. Stick around for that. After last week's Metaverse heavy episode, this week provides a refreshing look at how simplified purpose combined with disruptive thinking can alter the landscape of a well-established market. After all, that's what disruption is all about. Thanks to Laura for sharing her story and thoughts. If you're eyeing up a glass of something lovely... Be sure to stick around until the end of the episode for Chief Disruptor's very own Lalo discount code. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Without further ado, let's crack on. So, Laura, um, thanks so much for joining the Chief Disruptor podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Great, great. Thanks, thanks, thanks for joining. Um, we've obviously got a really, really interesting conversation, quite, quite different to the the two or three episodes that we've had um, previously. Um, obviously, we're talking about um, sort of Lalo and uh, and uh, your founder story. Could you tell us a bit about what Lalo is and and how you sort of came to found found the business with your with your co-founder? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Lalo produced premium boxed wine. Um, my co-founder and I, we both used to work at Naked Wines and thought it was crazy that no one was making great boxed wine. Um, boxed wine is brilliant because it stays fresh for six weeks. So whether you're drinking wine at home and you just want to have a glass and not open a bottle, or if you're a bar and restaurant and want to have wines by the glass without pouring bottles away after a couple of days, it's actually the perfect solution. Um, but it does have a bit of a, an image problem. I think a lot of people still associate it with student parties or maybe they had it in the 80s when the quality was genuinely terrible. So the challenge for us was how we could create a brand that was really cool, that everyone would realise this is different to boxed wine I've had before. Yeah. Um, and they would realise that the, the quality is great. And the way that we've done that is through designing boxes, which you'd be proud to have on your countertop rather than a little bit sheepish, like maybe <laughs> people are with um, with other boxed wines they may have seen. Yeah, yeah. And I guess maybe there was also a little bit of uh, product testing along the way, maybe. Lots of product testing. Yeah, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, yeah, it's a, a perk of the job, for sure, getting to drink yeah. a lot of wine. Yeah. <laughs> some some jealous people. Um, I, I, th- I think when I when I was thinking about the story, um, I, I mean, I, I'm, I've just 
graduated from uni, I'm pretty familiar with um, the alcohol industry. And I was thinking that, that there's been a lot of disruption actually in the alcoholic beverage industry um, and wine industry. Did you set out to sort of disrupt the industry or were you just looking, um, like you said, to sort of redefine what, what people thought around boxed wine? Yeah, so my co-founder, who's also called Laura, um, Laura Richies, we both used to work at Naked Wines Together, which is one of the UK's largest online wine retailers, um, which itself was very disruptive when it launched back in 2008. Um, we, I was the COO, she was the marketing director, and we were doing this crazy reverse commute from London to Norwich and stayed up there a couple of nights a week to try and make the, the commute less hellish. And um, we shared a flat and often would have a glass of wine um, on you know, a Tuesday, um, yeah. one that we'd sort of taken home from the office. And it was just a, something that we both really, really enjoyed about our time at Naked, being able to drink you know, fantastic quality wine um, yeah. at those moments when you wouldn't necessarily justify opening a bottle. We both left to do other things. So came back to London with freelance consulting. And then during the pandemic, I had read that people were stockpiling stockpiling boxed wine and my first thought was oh bo boxed wine like it's interesting so I haven't really <laughs> haven't really um sort of thought much about that um and realized that um you know the kind of perceptions that the people had were wrong so you can now have great quality wine in boxes um which a lot of people kind of didn't realize and I'd messaged Laura about this idea and wanted to get her view from a, a kind of marketing perspective and no word of a lie she'd genuinely been thinking about exactly the same thing um yeah. she she'd sort of come at, at it from a different angle so um she'd been thinking you know where is the innovation in wine she kind of had this entrepreneurial itch wanted to do something within the wine industry specifically um and identified as packaging as being one of the main ways that you can do that for wine yeah. so um the two of us came together we sat in my back garden during um one of the uh, the kind of social distanced summers of of lockdown back in 2020 and we realized yeah. that our vision for the business was you know 90 the same so decided to join forces and do it together um so yeah it was, it was quite interesting because we kind of came from a business that was disruptive within the wine industry and then yeah. sort of identified an area of it that hadn't been disrupted yet mm. um which was which was packaging and realized that um you know everything we knew about how people like to drink wine at home um wine quality um, all these different parts, we we'd kind of figured that boxes were the, were the kind of surprising solution to modernizing packaging. Yeah, yeah, no, I, th I think the the evolution of disruption is uh, a really interesting thing for us personally, obviously, um, a, 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 as chief disruptor. I think, um, I mean, I kind of want to dive in, unpack sort of the, the parts that you just mentioned. I think there's the customer part and the sustainability. Um, if we start with the customer, I think, you know, I, I had a look at sort of your LinkedIn and the and the website and kind of the, the byline that I saw was changing the way the world drinks wine. That's kind of what I saw. Um, and I guess there is a lot to unpack there in itself I think um the first is is that you know I guess people's consumption of wine has changed over the last 10 5 2 years has it mm -hmm. yeah definitely I think there's definitely a trend of people drinking less but drinking better so people no longer want to sort of sit and power through you know multiple beers or ciders or bottle, bottles of wine or anything yeah. you want a little bit of something really nice um that's a trend within food within wine you know going out um and boxes are the way to do that because a um you know a bottle of wine has 750 mils in it that's actually quite a lot yeah <laughs> um you know it is um 
yeah, it's it's crazy, really. The um the design of glass bottles hasn't changed in two hundred years, so they've been seven hundred and fifty mils, um for for two hundred years. Uh, apparently, the reason that um wine bottles were seven hundred and fifty mils was that that's yeah. roughly one lungful of air when a glass blower was making right. glass yeah. bottles back in like the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not for sort of any particular reason. Um, yeah. but there's 750 mils in there and 200 years later we're still drinking out of the same bottles it's, it's silly yeah yeah no that that's that's interesting one of those sort of um tales that we we, we won't know if it's true but it, it no. sounds good to, it sounds good to me it sounds good i know to me. i might I might be on qi and get the the buzzer that it's actually wrong but um, i think yeah. i think it's right yeah yeah um i i i, I believe you i believe you um I, and then, and then obviously, so there's changing consumption patterns anyway, um, and then redefining sort of the perceptions around wine um, boxes of wine, which obviously we spoke about. Like, what what, what were the big steps there, in, in how you sort of influence a customer or consumer's behaviours? Um, I, I think you know, there's the, I mean, we we spoke a couple of times around the education around the packaging, branding, message, purpose. Mm. Those are all things. What, what what sort of really stuck out to you? Yeah, design is incredibly important. So, um, you know, people are very visual and sort of judge things with their eyes. So step number one needed to be creating something that was very beautiful. Mm. And uh, we started the business thinking very much of D to C. And we realized that a lot of typical packaging design still has store shelves in mind when they're they're designing that packaging they'll still have yeah. on the front you know Sauvignon Blanc or you know no matter what it is it will sort of say obviously on the packaging what it is whereas yeah. when you're buying something online that's just totally unnecessary so what would happen if we hid all of the, the kind of essential information on the bottom of the box and for the the main body of the packaging just having something that's very beautiful yeah and um we were thinking you know just creating something very beautiful a bit, a bit kind of broad so what happened what would happen if we started off very much with the wine that's inside so with our very first wine it was a spanish tempranillo um it was during lockdown when everyone was dreaming of going away and going on a holiday and be sipping yeah. wine in a, a tapas bar in spain and having a glass of tempranillo um yeah. how could we sort of use that as inspiration for the design. So the first box was um, a, a kind of Spanish tiled design. And within the tiles, we'd sort of hidden little messages about the wine. So we've yeah. got the crest of the town, where it was from. We've got the winemaker's logo. We'd um, got a uh, little angels because our time at Naked Wines felt really important yeah. and Naked Wines yeah. calls their customers angels so they wanted to sort of create something beautiful and have a little bit of fun with it as well um, but most importantly have the box very much uh, representing the wine that's inside yeah. and it's been quite fun as we've added new wines to our range we've just launched our 14th wine yesterday um, mm. and every single box looks totally totally different yeah. um, but all of them look really beautiful i think yeah. and the, the kind of thing that you'd be happy to have on your your shelf at home as um you know, yeah a, a part of of you know your home really rather than a functional item yeah yeah that that, that design part sounds super fun i think of uh, mm. i think of like oatly you know when you, when you read all the stories on the side of the of the packaging that's all that's all really really fun aspect engaging aspect of it mm. um and and then in terms of sort of that actually is 
speaking to that direct consumer, um, that is, I mean, a challenging and really competitive sort of business model. Um, and a massive part of that is customer experience. And, um, you know, the expectations of customers now when you go on a website is are, are massive. And, um, mm. you know, you don't really have any leeway for, for um, failure or, or, or for, for, for a experience, which is less than perfect um is, is that something you guys had to had to battle with and and how did you sort of I guess attempt or achieve to deliver above those expectations mm, yeah it's a great question um we were very inspired by our time at Naked Wines so I think they were very much at the forefront of um really putting customers first within D2C. Mm. So yeah. that business started in 2008 and um, did lots of, you know, very innovative things at the time, such as if you don't like the wine, have your money back, no questions asked, or yeah. giving the customer happiness team a budget so that if they were talking to someone who, you know, maybe they're going through a rough time, they could send them a card or, you know, if they could hear their dog in the background, they could send their dog a toy or, yeah, you know, yeah, just those yeah. sort of little things that could, could make customers smile. Um, and I think that now is standard um, at a lot of companies, but um, Naked Wines was, was really kind of at the forefront. So um, we were lucky to have, you know, almost training um, from, from Naked Wines about all the, the ways that we can help customers um, sort of feel very positive about the brand mm. and, yeah. um help sort of challenge ourselves to keep thinking of new ways that we could help the experience be fantastic every single time yeah yeah and I think I think kind of one of the things around D2C brands is is creating kind of a community or a sub community whether it's on Instagram or you know mm. I know a lot of people do WhatsApp messages or, or mm. groups I, I is that something that you guys are striving for to have that community that engagement feeling yeah, definitely, 100%. So um, we do have WhatsApp communities for some of our most engaged customers. And yeah. that's brilliant because if, you know, we're puzzling over something, maybe we're going to try a new wine that's a bit out there, um, we can drop them a message and get their feedback, uh, to get their honest feedback um, yeah. quickly, which is amazing. Um, we do also uh, engage the, the kind of wider community in the, the form of the email Um Sort of email subscriber list so we were working on a new design for our merlot which is coming out at christmas and uh, for each of um, our new wines we'll talk to our designer about the wine the winemaker um, tell him all the information he'll come back with a bunch of different ideas and as a team we genuinely could not pick between the two we absolutely loved two um, yeah. so we just put together a quick email sent it out to the base and said which one of the two do you prefer um yeah. and they came back and that was the one that we went with so yeah we do we do try and do that in, in lots of different ways and I think it's important as well as a wine business that we are very personable because yeah. wine can sometimes feel quite intimidating quite exclusive people are scared to sort of say something silly um yeah. so we try to sort of put ourselves in the marketing of it so I'm not sort of naturally <laughs> the kind mm. of person who would kind of want to be front and center of yeah. our marketing but if people can see that it's just two ordinary women behind the brand not sort of yeah wine experts or, or stuffy old men um hopefully that sort of helps people realize that um you know we're sort of accessible and fun and you know the most important thing is that the wine is delicious and drinkable rather than having a, a fancy name um yeah. 
No, no, I, th- I think that's great. I think that speaks to the purpose, I guess, um, and message of, of what you want. And, and that that's that's a really engaging, engaging story. Um, so, so the next part I wanted to move on onto was sustainability. Um, mm. And I think it's quite timely that sort of the day or the we're recording this the day, the day after uh, the founder of Patagonia gave his organization mm. to a, a trust um, to sort of pump all the profits into fighting climate change um but actually interestingly when I think of wine you think of glass bottles and kind mm. of everything tells you that glass is okay because it goes in a recycling mm. bin um mm. I guess that, that that could you tell us a bit about you know the, the I don't know the metrics or the numbers as behind the behind the the environmental impact of the bottles and and how the box plays a part there yeah definitely there's so many things to say here so firstly glass bottle can go in a recycling bin but apparently only 30 percent of glass bottles in the uk are actually recycled um yeah. and I, I i didn't expect it to be only 30 percent, but um yeah it's, it's much lower than you'd think um but also i think people forget that sustainability can't be really be measured on just one axis so recyclability is one part you know carbon footprint is another part pollution is another part mm. you know you it's really hard to come up with a solution where all of those metrics look great so you know you kind of have to to balance them and and figure out you know net net which ones do you either you know as uh well both as a consumer and and as a business which Mm. where do you think the sort of best balance lies yeah um so with glass in particular yes it is recyclable um which is amazing but to produce it and to recycle it, you need intense heat. So heat of over a thousand degrees. Yeah. And obviously to, to create that requires an awful lot of energy, um, which you can't always guarantee that's from a clean source. Um, yeah. And also it's you know huge, hugely expensive at the moment. And then once you've got this round glass bottle, um, you can't pack them very efficiently. So if you're shipping wine from New Zealand in glass bottles, mm. um, it is going to take up an awful lot of space versus if you were to just send the the juice um the, the wine inside in you know giant giant packaging which is how we do it um because we we sort of ship it in bulk and then fill it in the uk yeah um it's also breakable which means you need to pad it with a lot of extra packaging <laughs> so yeah. um not only do they take up a lot of space you've then got to have even more packaging around it and the net impact of all these things means that the carbon footprint of boxed wine is 90 percent lower than mm. glass bottles yeah. which is huge um the cardboard boxes are you know obviously recyclable in, in any kind of recycling but the bags that are inside the boxes can be a little bit trickier so some councils will recycle them some councils won't yeah. um i honestly think plastic recycling you know needs to be given more of a a priority um in the uk because you know so much is plastic because it's convenient but then you know so much is going in the bin um so what we do is we have free post recycling envelopes on our website and customers return their bags to us we'll recycle the bag the tap and then the mailing bag that it's come back in um it's recycled at a facility that we work very closely with so we know for sure um 100 of it is going to be recycled safely and turned into something new um but it it is tricky it's for for every everything that you're sort of buying there's going to be things about it that are good um yeah. and things by about it that are bad it's it's hard yeah and and 
as an industry, I mean, I think one of the things we talk about um, when it's environmental sustainability is like no, no business is an island. Like that collaboration of, of around sustainability is something that, I mean, you'd hope people are striving for. Is that something within the, the wine industry? Yeah, it's talked about a lot. Um, and winemakers are really at the forefront of the consequences of um, climate change. So, yeah. um, you know, so many winemakers are finding that crazy weather <laughs> conditions are completely wiping out their vintages, whether it's yeah. golf ball sized hailstones in parts of France, um, yeah. wildfires in California, um, rain, floods in Germany. So remember last yeah. year, there was all those sort of hor horrific floods. Um, so it is definitely being talked about within the wine industry. And the most you know, of a bottle of wine that you've got in front of you, the biggest contributor to um, the carbon footprint of that that wine is the packaging. So mm. it is crazy that we're not talking more about the packaging. I think within the wine industry as well, there is an openness towards alternative packaging. So we've had some brilliant reviews from some of the UK's leading wine critics, Masters of Wine, we've been featured in incredible publications. Yeah. Um, but I think generally as a country, because we are sort of quite nervous and not very confident about wine. I think a lot of people sort of hang on to the, the signifiers of quality and packaging yeah. is very much a signifier of quality. People think, you know, when it's in a big glass heavy bottle, it must be good wine. So I'm going to buy yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the challenge, I think, is more changing customers' perceptions around packaging than it is mm. changing the wine industry's perceptions. Let's go now to sort of maybe slightly away from the wine and let's go to the back that the back room and let's go to sort of your team and how you found running a growing startup uh, I guess it must have been a bit odd starting it in COVID and now you're in a completely different place and I don't know how the team has grown but have there been any specific challenges um, and anything you've learned? Yeah so for a long time it was just Laura and I um, at the start of this year we did a funding round that helped us go from two people to six people um, yeah. so we had all four people join us within the space of about eight weeks um, so that was a, a big change um, you know Laura and I had worked closely together before so we kind of knew the culture that we were aiming for we knew how each other worked how we like to communicate you know what's important to us and yeah. then all of a sudden there's four new people in the mix and everyone there is is different so I think yeah. it was a yeah it was, it was a challenge getting things from inside our heads um and sort of make the the rest of the team um sort of really understand you know what was important and and how we like to work and what our, our goals were for the business um so that's been a challenge but it's been really exciting because obviously with three times the yeah. um the, the number of heads we've been able to do just so much more so yeah that's been um a challenge but really fun um I think the other sort of big challenge for us at the moment is um new customer acquisition in the sense that a couple of years ago D2C the best way to do it was stick up a load of Facebook ads do a bunch of testing and then yeah. um you know people come flooding to you whereas there's been a number of changes in the last couple of years around you know Apple iOS updates and algorithm changes and I yeah. think everyone across e-commerce at the moment is finding um sort of paid digital advertising really hard so yeah. had to be, be a lot more creative about how we get the mm. word out about Lalo so that's been yeah. a, another big challenge for us this yeah. year any guerrilla marketing on the on the horizon is there going to be yeah so we've done a bunch of 
fun things actually so um one thing that we did was um a, a stunt with our rosé so this year we launched the most incredible like pale rosé um like lovely like red fruit really like crisp and refreshing it's like yeah. the ultimate rosé but yeah. when you say the ultimate rosé everyone thinks of whispering angel right like <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> tiny quid a bottle you know beautiful bottle but like whispering angel is like you know in people's heads the ultimate rosé but we yeah. we genuinely thought our rosé was better um and our three bottle box is 34.99 so it's 11 quid 12 quid a bottle versus the yeah. spring angel at 20 so we got this um we were inspired by <laughs> that um sort of tiktok that was doing the rounds where there was like a cardboard box and inside there was a coke a diet coke a pepsi a dr pepper and people had got the sort of straws and were, were tasting it yeah, yeah. and we thought you know could we walk around london with a cardboard box with a bottle of whispering angel behind it a box of lalo rose yeah, yeah. Um, and ask people which they preferred um so on a, a kind of sunny thursday we um went out um at lunchtime <laughs> near our office <laughs> and we're you know do you want to we had this sign that said do you want to take the whispering angel challenge and people yeah. were running over being like whispering <laughs> angel yeah please um and genuinely 90 percent of people when we asked them which one of the two glasses do you prefer they picked ours yeah, yeah. Right. Awesome. And that was before they knew we were, you know, almost half the price. Yeah, so that felt yeah. like huge validation. Um, and obviously went down well on social media afterwards yeah. as well. So yeah, no. yeah. Oh, that's great. I'll de- de- definitely have a look for that. Um <laughs> and I think I think that sort of guerrilla marketing is and, and those sort of inventive ideas, innovative ideas, whatever you want to call them, um, it sort of is a is a byproduct of a small team and being able to do it and sort of, you know, whoever came up with the idea can come to you as the co-founder and get permission and, you know, mm. come up with the idea together. How have you sort of balanced um, the culture of a startup? Um, you know, people always talk about how, how can I replicate a startup in a big enterprise or a big corporate? Um, but then for a small startup, it can be difficult because you've, work so agile and and you know maybe odd hours or odd team team numbers how have you managed to sort of combine those two is it possible to combine those two yeah so I think the first thing is just knowing that not everything has to be perfect right like we could have spent 100 quid on a beautiful sign we could have spent ages planning exactly what it was that we were going to say to people um and it probably wouldn't have worked so well I think the, the sort yeah. of shabby cardboard sign catches people's attention they're like oh you know what, what is this and I think um you know especially for larger businesses there's you know just too much focus on something being perfect um so yeah that's one thing that we very much keep in mind yeah, and then I think the the other thing about sort of combining the two is that as a startup, you can have a million different ideas, but ultimately only have enough capacity within the team to test yeah. 10 of them. So I think where startup needs to meet corporate um, is around the prioritization piece, because sometimes you can you can test something and it doesn't work but maybe that was because you didn't execute it right or you know there was something that that should have been done better and it can be too easy to be scatty and be like okay well we've got another 99 ideas on the list let's just move on to the next one but perhaps yeah. you were within a whisker of, of that first idea being a game changer so one thing we've really had to learn this year is around creating a bit of rigor around all our different ideas um, how do we prioritize them how do we turn into 
a learning machine effectively because yeah. as a, a startup as a disruptor you are doing something different so mm. you can't just do what everyone else is doing right because you're not doing what everyone else is doing because because you're a disruptor so you know you need to be learning all of the time you know trying something new didn't work do we iterate or do we do something new and then again mm. doing something new like how do we make yeah. sure that you know increasing our learn rate so to speak is top priority as business because you know once we hit on that thing that um is our kind of game changer then we're away yeah no super interesting i think that that that's that agile thinking isn't it in a, in a nutshell there so it's uh mm. it, yeah that, that that's that's great um so i'm gonna sort of maybe maybe bring it to a to a close but perhaps linked to sort of that agile thinking and uh and then perhaps put you on the spot a little bit around a disruptive thought of the day i'm gonna put one out there today and i was well, making my coffee this morning and i was thinking about layla and i was thinking about environmental sustainability and i sort of had a question as opposed to an idea which was if you sold just coffee beans as beans as opposed to it ground up would that save environmental sustainability? I then sort of had a thought in my head that maybe people would have to buy grinders and then it wouldn't be sustainable. But I just had that idea of if you eliminate that that sort of um, process within the supply chain, does it could that have a, an environmental impact? And then sort of I guess the consumers owning that owning that process. I don't know. That was that was a, a thought I had. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Don't know uh, whether that resonates. But um, perhaps you've got a disruptive thought for for the podcast mm, um yeah so one thing that's been very much on my mind recently is schooling um and nurseries so I've got an 18 month old and um I know it's crazy that we're starting to think about schools while she's 18 months old <laughs> everyone everyone is like oh what are you thinking um and the answer is I, I, I don't know because you know so much about schooling hasn't really changed even though the world has hugely changed um yeah. since the advent of the internet um so you know I don't know what the solution is for nursery and for school to really um you know encourage her to be curious and creative and collaborative and all of those things that have been so important for my career but weren't necessarily encouraged at school because learning facts and being able to ace exams were the priority certainly at my school at least so um I would love it if there was a disruptor out there who could, you know, come up with the perfect way to, um, you know, have a nursery or to to have a school that would genuinely um, future proof um, education and, and help children be ready for not just the world as it is today but what the world might look like in in 20 years time and at the moment I don't know who's doing that so yeah um yeah no, I, th- I think that's interesting, actually, because I, I read an article yesterday and it was about, you know, I mean, higher education, admittedly, so a different level. But, you know, there are there have been loads of higher education disruptors trying to change the mm. way people go to university. But large institutions remain very resistant to that sort of disruption, which is perhaps kind of what you're talking about as changing what people's understanding is of an education and what they want I guess it kind of starts from the from the consumer or the the learner um first Mm. and then and then it changes but it is interesting yeah yeah 100% I think a lot of how your brain is wired is actually fixed by the time that you're seven um so if you know it's just so important what happens before then so if you can you know in a child give them 
you know, a growth mindset or to not be scared of failure or to be mm. curious and um, open and that sort of sets them up for life. It's really hard to kind of unravel that at 18 or even older. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think the kind of early years education and, and childcare um, is, is the place to do it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you'd hope that creates some uh, disruptive business women and men <laughs> in the future. That, that, exactly. That's what we all want. Um, well, Laura, I'm going to bring that bring that to a close. Thanks so much for, for joining us. We covered, as always, loads. Um, I think it's a really, really interesting story and we had some really interesting discussions. So thanks so much. And uh, uh, I look forward to tucking into a glass of wine this evening, I think. Oh, thank you. And if any of your listeners um, want to also tuck into a glass of wine, a little bit of self-promotion, if you don't mind. Um, so have a look at our website. It's drinklaylo.com. It's D-R-I-N-K-L-A-Y-L-O. Com. Um, we've got all our new wines on there there's some really really incredible wines so check them out um, and if you want to have 10 pounds off your first order um, you can use the code chief disruptor um, so yeah check it out cool perfect thanks Thank Laura you. it sounds like uh, a couple other glasses of wine going around this evening thanks <laughs> you're have so welcome one. thanks for having me on well that concludes this week's episode of the chief disruptor podcast for those of you who are interested in joining our community of disruptive technology and business leaders and coming to some of our upcoming events, visit our website at chiefdisruptor.com. In particular, applying for membership now will grant you access to Chief Disruptor Live on Tuesday, the 18th of October at the Mayfair Hotel. Our biannual summit sees 140 members joining to come together, network and hear insights from our disruptive speakers. This year, we have speakers from Specsavers, the CBI, WH Smith, Moneybox, and many more. I hope to see some of you there. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode and see you next time. <laughs>